Wow, thank you so much. I enjoyed that as much the second time as the first time. What a blessing. I was thinking of that. You know how people today, they kind of wander around in, in confusion. And what is life all about? I don't know how uh, people live without the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what's the purpose of life? You know, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? All that is answered when you meet the Master. Because He takes control and you understand that He had enough control to create all that is here. And He has enough to save your soul and to give you eternal life that will never perish. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. What a blessing. And Gary's presentation this morning, boy, that was good, wasn't it? Just brings us up to speed and I'm praying that, that this fly will die someday. And... Uh, uh, other than that, you know, every service we have something that happens around here, it seems like. But uh, you pray for that fly, too, that either it gets saved or that it will spend eternity some other place than in Westside Baptist Church. <laughs> but as Gary was talking, and truly, truly, our hearts are, have been so blessed by being... Able to enter into a project and to join what God is doing. And then those that have been involved. And, and I think of even baking cookies for the, the people that are out there. You know, they love us showing up with cookies every now and then. And the volunteer Christian builders are such a blessing. I was looking forward to them coming back the very first day that I met them. They have been such a treasure to us. And, and we will be able to join them. And as Gary said, you know, going out there and you don't even necessarily have to call ahead now as... And when they're there, in a starting a uh, week from tomorrow, they're going to be out there. And you can just join them as far as uh, uh, helping working alongside them. There is nothing like working alongside God's servants. And so we really encourage you on that. They'll be taking off this week. And we have opportunity to uh, give them uh, meals and things like that and the sign-up list back there. And just want to encourage you, don't miss the boat. It sails once. And oftentimes, life will be over before we've even gotten on board. So I encourage you to, to, to do that which God would have you to do. Uh, I think of uh, all those and all the things that are going on in, in the midst of this building project, too. The fact that we've been able to minister as we have for these past two years in owning that property. And the member of the night that we took on the, uh, the project and voted to, to do the project, we took on four missionaries that night. We've taken on ten missionaries since we've taken on the pro project. And tonight we're going to be taking on four more missionaries. God wants us to stay about ministry, stay about souls. It's not about a building, it's about lives. And praise the Lord for that. And, and uh, as, our, as I'm reminded even this morning, as all the things that people do, our, our team to Utah is still in Utah. They're coming back tomorrow. Pray for them as they come back. But Yoshi fixes the coffee next door. And I showed up this morning, there's no coffee. And, and uh, Larry says, how do you fix coffee here? And I said, I have no idea. You know, you just take for granted. Coffee just shows up. We're going to miss Yoshi, aren't we? He's going to be with us for about three more weeks only. And then he's heading back to Japan. And, oh, I tell you, he's been such a blessing to our church for the past three years. And as uh, Gary mentioned about Larry Thrash, he's been our security out there for, for the two years that we've owned the property. I remember the day that we, we took possession of that property. His trailer was there the very first day. 
God's watched over that property and all and all the things that people do. So I want to encourage you, just jump in wherever God would lay on your heart and just be obedient to Him. And tonight, we're going to have opportunity to uh, uh, share uh, just our, our fellowship together in communion and all and just encourage you in this and everything. And so let's get into our study this morning. I didn't get to finish this morning. I got a little carried away this morning. That happens ever so often around here. But Matthew, excuse me, not Matthew. It's actually Luke chapter 6, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there. And I'll get as far as I can this morning, and we'll. Uh, what I'd like to, to do is, is, as we get into the life of Christ, we need to understand. We need to understand where we are because we started the life of Christ, and then we got into stewardship, and then we got into uh, uh, the glory of the Lord, and that took almost uh, four months to talk about the glory of the Lord. And so now as we're getting back to the life of Christ, uh, what I was hoping to be a continuous series so we could we could see the days unfold, we could walk in His steps, we've got a little disjointed. We are today entering His second year in ministry. All that we've studied before is His first year of ministry. And as we come into this second year of ministry, we are in Luke chapter 6. We are also in Mark chapter 2 and 3. Those two books are more chronological. Matthew is more topical. Matthew was written to the Jews and he would give them kind of like systematic theology. He'd give them doctrines. He'd give them teachings and he would surround that as the king of the Jews and the promised Messiah and the coming Savior and all those, those things like that. It's actually in Matthew chapter 12. That we see the same things taking place here in Luke chapter 6. Alright, so kind of keep that in mind. In Jesus' second year of ministry. And you say, how do you know it's the second year of ministry? Well, if you remember when we started his ministry, his public ministry. His first act in his public ministry was to go and cleanse the temple. Remember that? And that was during what time of year? That was the... Passover. And the reason we can tell the years of his ministry is how many Passovers are taking place. And remember, when he died, it was just before the, or it was during the Passover. Y'all remember that? Okay. And in actuality, as you go through this, as I've been trying to study this, and this has been marvelous to me to help understand these steps in doing this through the Synoptic Gospels, primarily Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and putting this together and trying to get the chronology of it, it's been marvelously laid out. You'll probably discover as we, and you'll count them, how many Passovers are involved in his ministry. There are five. That would mean that he would ministered for right at four years. And that's something I mean, we've all thought three, three and a half years and everything. But we're going to go through them. This is the second. We say, how do you know this is the second one? Well, look at Luke chapter six and verse one. It came to pass on the second Passover. I mean, excuse me, the second Sabbath. After the what? First. You say. Well, Luke, he's a doctor. He's writing to the the Gentiles. He is actually the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible. He's the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible that we know of. He's writing to the Greeks. He's writing to the Gentiles. And he makes an emphasis here. You say, 
The second after the first. Duh. Doesn't that make sense? Except if you didn't know what the first Sabbath is all about. You see what I'm saying? And those Gentiles wouldn't know what the first Sabbath is all about. It starts the year of the Jews. It is Passover. Okay, so when you see the first Sabbath, that is the Passover. Okay, got that? Right around that time, it's supposed to be the 14th of Nicene. So it's, it's considered the first Sabbath uh, there in, in their new year and, and the, in the, uh, the, the chronology and the t- time frame of things. There's actually uh, seven Sabbaths between Passover and Pentecost. We'll see this in Acts chapter 2. It's amazing. All these little details. You say, well, preacher, uh, you know, some of these details, how important are they? They're very important because God makes this specific. He says the second passes, pass the second Sabbath after the first Passover. Uh, Sabbath. You see what I'm saying? So he's emphasizing this so that his readers might understand this. Now, in Jesus' second year of ministry, he becomes a great public favor. Okay? A great public favor. Not to the religious crowd. <laughs> They're walking around trying to figure out what's wrong with him. What's, what kind of message has, in fact, at the end of the last uh, message that I preached, you saw the Pharisees coming and examining how this man is healing uh, this guy. Remember the guy let down through the roof and he was healed and forgave his sin. And, said, and they said, oh, well, only God can forgive sin. Duh, that's true. God was there. Amen to that. Jesus Christ is God. He's a part of the Trinity. Those little details, valuable. But the Pharisees and Sadducees and these people are starting to follow him around really to find fault with him. But he's gaining great favor. And let me tell you what happens in his second year. And you'll discover why he's finding favor. People are not so much following him because he's the Messiah. But following him because of what they can get out of him. Or what he's able to do. And it's obvious of that, especially after his resurrection and crucifixion. There was only 120 in the upper room. But in his second year of ministry, he heals, and this is in kind of chronological order, he heals the crippled man's hand. Excuse me, the crippled man. It is his, uh, you'll see this in Luke chapter 6, his third calling of his disciples. And this is something sometimes we don't get in our minds. You, you see some of the disciples mentioned there in, uh, at the baptism of Jesus. Remember that? Peter and Andrews and James and John. And, and we see them coming and they, they're saying, well, who are you and what about you? And, and they, they, they look at them for a little bit and they go back to fishing. They come back and, and you'll see this is the third encounter. And this actually in Luke chapter 6 is the official calling, the official naming of the 12 apostles. You have to understand that the word disciple and apostle is not the same word. Sometimes the apostles are called disciples. The word disciple is a follower or a learner. The word apostle means one who's being sent out. And when Jesus arose, he sent out his apostles to into all the world and to preach the gospel. That's why missions is important here at Westside Baptist Church. And so we see this in chapter 6. So in the second year of his ministry, uh, he heals a crippled man. He calls his disciples. They become uh, 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 knit together. And after they are knit together, guess what's next on the agenda? It is the Sermon on the Mount. 
I say that because when you get into Matthew, Matthew being more topical, not chronological, right after Jesus' temptation there, in the beginning, before he even starts his public ministry, you go right into chapter 5 of Matthew, and that's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But now what we find is his apostles are coming together, and he's going to preach them this new philosophy that has been distorted by the religious crowd of the day. It's really not a new philosophy. It's God's philosophy from day one, as you read there in the Sermon on the Mount. But you know what happens? As religions grow, traditions start coming in, and truth begins distorted. You know, folks, the most important thing we can do is make sure we get back to the Bible and follow the Scriptures. It is thus saith the Lord. And what we're going to discover this morning as he talks about the Sabbath is that people started distorting what the Sabbath was all about. And this morning is my intention to help you and I understand what is the Sabbath because Christians get that confused. So after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there is the centurion servant healed, uh, the raising of the widow's son, the, uh, the anointing by the outcast woman, the demonic healed, uh, the calming of the storm, the healing of the demonic, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, the blind healed, the pool at Bethesda, the John the Baptist beheaded, and then the feeding of the 5,000, and then the feeding of the 4,000, you know, all that. Uh, is uh, the feeding of 4,000, I think is in his third year. He walks on water. His popularity is growing. So here he is now, and he's speaking, and they're coming to pass. Let's begin reading again in uh, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 1, after the first Sabbath, that he went through the cornfield, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? Stop. Do you think Jesus would do anything unlawful? Do you think that possibly the Pharisees have misunderstood what the Sabbath is about. And let me tell you this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders who were supposed to keep the congregants following the right path. And if they don't get it right at the top, it filters down in a wrong way. He says, why are you doing that which is unlawful? Jesus answered. God's always got an answer, doesn't he? He answered and said, Have you not read so much as this what David did? Boy, when they come to David, boy, he was, he was a patriarch. or uh, He was such a, a high figure. He was uh, the king of Jews. He was the most uh, well-known king of the Jews. In fact, his name is mentioned in the Bible almost more than uh, any other name in the Bible. It says, When himself he was hungered. Now catch this. When he's hungry. And they which were with him. How he went into the house of God. And he did take and eat the showbread. 
and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but by the priest alone. He says, we see some of these things in David's life. He's not admitting to wrong here, but he's, he's bringing out some things that is very questionable of what took place. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. They were talking to the Lord of the Sabbath and they were questioning his doctrine. And he'll have a way of straightening them out. The trouble is they don't get it. Sometimes we don't get it. But let's look at this. I'm going to bring uh, three parts or two parts primarily this morning. The intent of the Sabbath so we can understand it. The interpretation of the Sabbath and then the instruction of the Sabbath. So let's look at that in the short time that we have left. First of all, if you were to go to Mark chapter 2 verse 27, it's only recorded here, which is interesting. And men, again, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were written, in, of course, John 2, but, but this is not a synoptic gospel, but they were written to particular people. Mark was written to the Romans presenting Jesus as a servant. And he's the only one that brings this out. But the idea in this passage, in this context, the same story taking place there in Mark chapter 2, he said unto them, the Pharisees, he says, the Sabbath, was not, was, excuse me, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Catch it? Catch it? In other words, as it goes back to creation, God worked six days, created this world, and on the seventh day, He rested. And God wants us To have a day of rest. Amen? And amen. It is good to take a day of rest. And it wasn't that man was made for the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was given to man. Because the word Sabbath means rest. Some people think it means Saturday. It doesn't mean Saturday. It means rest. That's what the Hebrew word means. And so he's telling uh, these Pharisees that, listen, you've got a wrong interpretation. And today there are people today that have a wrong interpretation of the Sabbath. It is a part of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. It's reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you will study... In the Old Testament, between Exodus chapter 20 and Numbers chapter 13, that is what we would call the Constitution or the bylaws of Israel. It contains civil, moral, and ceremonial law. And I want to say this, that was given to Israel, right or wrong? Now, we know that God is a moral God and and morality is morality. Amen to that. He reiterates the morality. But in this law that was given to Israel, here, look what it says in Exodus 31. As he's he's defining this law and that was given Ten Commandments, now it is broken down into the ways to, to follow the law, the consequences or the rewards of following the law. He says, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbath ye shall keep. Who's he speaking to? Israel. 
Now I want to say this. This is brought out several times in this passage. We don't want to get this wrong. There are things that apply to Israel that does not apply to you or to America or to the Christian church. America is not modern day Israel, even though oftentimes it acts like it. Because America is filled with sinful people. And the church is not modern day Israel either. Israel was Israel. The church is the church. All right. So notice here, he's saying to Israel, uh, keep the Sabbath for it. Notice this is a sign between me and who? Israel throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Verse 14, ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely what? Be put to death. Jerry, did you work yesterday? Let's kill him. I mean, they took this seriously. There were Sabbath breakers. You see them taking them out and stoning them. I mean, this is serious. Because God wanted them to understand creation. God wanted them to understand the value of rest. God wanted them to understand the sanctity of all this that He has presented. Truly, as the Bible says, all Scripture is given by inspiration. It's profitable. There are lessons that we can learn here. But we need to be careful that we do not become legalists and try to put ourselves back under the law. For the law was never intended to save anybody. Israel included. They were not saved by obeying the law. A man is always saved by his faith in God. And by God's grace. The law actually shows us how much grace God gives to us. Because we know sin by the law. Has anybody ever lied? Would you all raise your hand if you lied? And I don't want any more liars here this morning. So everybody better raise their hand. You know, we have broken God's commandments. We are not worthy of going to heaven. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross to extend to us his grace so that we could go to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven by the law. You're not going to get to heaven by your works. For by grace a man is saved through faith and that not of himself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You have a sinful problem and the only way your sinful problem can be removed is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, put to death, for whosoever doth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. This is pretty clear. This is about Israel, isn't it? Verse 15, six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. By the way, I'm reminded as I'm reading this of the sabbatical year. The sabbatical year. They were to take off an entire year. Some of you are wishing you were Jews, don't you? <laughs> They're supposed to take off an entire year. You say, how, how would we make it if we don't plant our crops, if we don't do this? Well, God's able to take care of you, follow what he wants. Isn't that right? And in fact, Israel disobeyed the sabbatical years for some 490 years. And guess what happened to them? They were put into captivity. Guess how long? Seventy years. 
If you take 70 years times 7, what do you get? Yes, let me say, I have no idea. I thought I was in church, not math lesson. 490 years, God claimed his Sabbath. He claimed his Sabbath. And so to Israel, this was a big deal. Uh, Whosoever doth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. If he says something twice, does he mean it? If he says it once, does he mean it? He figures out, though, that these were Jewish people and uh, and uh, they weren't always the smartest people on the block. And neither were their leaders because they missed it. And in fact, in this story here, you're going to see two incidences where he gives the message about the Sabbath and they missed it both times. May God help us not to miss what's being said here. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout her gener- their generations uh, for a perpetual covenant. You study the scriptures. You will never find another nation where this is given to. Including America. Understand? This is God's law for his people. It is a sign between me and the children of. Is that clear? You know, he said it more than twice, hasn't he? He said it enough times forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And, you know, there's nothing wrong here in America. We we actually take off two days, don't we? We take off Saturday and Sunday because America is a Judeo-Christian country. But if you go to Muslim countries or other countries, they don't take off Sunday. In America, it used to have the blue laws here. How many lived during the time of the blue laws? That'll date you for sure. The blue laws was no businesses were open on Sunday. And it's not that we have to come to church on Sunday, but why do we come to church on Sunday to worship? There needs to be a day that we assemble. But listen to me. In Acts chapter 2, they came every day. So if you go to church on Saturday, is that okay? Yeah. Is it okay to go on Sunday? Is it okay to go on Wednesday? Is it okay to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? It's all right, isn't it? Every day in God's sight. But the reason we have, and the, the early Christian church started meeting on Sunday, is because that is the resurrection day. You all get that? He arose on the first day day of the week. And so when we come today, we actually show the resurrection day. And I, and I say this because the Sabbath of the Old Testament was about creation. Today we come on Sunday, not in the same ideas of a Sabbath, but we come today and celebrate the new creation, the resurrection. You see, and what a testimony to our neighbors. Ben, I'm going to church. I'm going to be in church because I, I serve a risen Lord. Boy, that's exciting. I want to encourage you on that and, and, and all. Uh, by the way, well, what about this Sabbath? Do you all know? Someone say, are you a Sabbath keeper? Absolutely. When I got saved, I entered into his Sabbath. Now, don't miss this because the Jews miss this and a lot of people miss this. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. And when you accept him, he comes into your heart and he gives you that rest. 
rest from your labors. Listen to what it says here. Now, and this is and, and, and Hebrews was written to the idea to help the, the Jewish Christians understand that Jesus has a better way, has a fulfilled way. And, and he came to fulfill the law. And, and in him is all righteousness. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you gain all that righteousness inside of you. He says, let us therefore fear. Hebrews chapter 4 is about that he is better than the Sabbath. Uh, chapter 7 is he's better than the priests and, 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 and better than all these things. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to ex, ex, uh, express. He says, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Now again, he's writing to Jewish Christians. He says, you, you need to be careful because, you know, in that early church, they went to church on Saturday and on Sunday because they were a part of that Old Testament system. And it became difficult for them just to come on Sunday. But we do see that transitioning there in the first century. And these Jews were thinking, man, well, what about is, are, are, are we are we are we in violation of the law? So that's why he says less. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. You don't understand about entering into this rest, Jews, Jewish Christians. For unto us was the gospel preached. What's the gospel? Good news. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he arose again. For unto us the gospel is preached as well as unto them. Even in the Old Testament, the gospel is present. It's interesting in our study in Genesis how that brother uh, Turner brought up and showed us how the gospel was presented in the Old Testament. It's amazing truth as they had their faith in the coming Messiah and what he was going to do. He says, but the word priest did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And what happened is that they began to become legalists and they began to think, well, you know what? If I get involved in the law, then everything's going to be right between me and God. And they didn't have faith. It was more of a ritual and going through the motions. I'm telling you what, I had enough of that growing up, just going through the motions. It is not about a religion. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Jews began to think, well, we're of Abraham. We're of this, this religion here. And we're of this, this foundation here. And all through the Bible, it's not about you being born a Jew, being raised a Jew, or anything else, or whatever privilege you might think you have. It is about Jesus Christ. Either coming Messiah, or has come Messiah, or coming again Messiah. Amen? But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have what? Believed. Who is he talking to? We who have believed. How many of you believed? <laughs> and primarily to them, we that believe were the Jewish Christians. Do enter into what? Rest. Sabbath. As he said. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although works were finished from the foundation of the world. You know, that's a sermon in and of itself. When Jesus Christ, or when God finished, and that is Jesus Christ, God the Father, all three of the Trinity were part of creation. When they finished, the works were done. 
Praise God. I mean, isn't this amazing? You can keep on reading Hebrews chapter 4 and it gives more and more aspects there. And, and again, like I say, it's a message in and of itself. But let's, let's move on as, it, as, as, as we've talked about these different things. We understand that the seventh day uh, is Saturday. The first day is Sunday. Uh, and uh, and uh, the, the transition there. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, now again, this is moving on in time. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And you're going to find that they're meeting more and more on Sunday and not as much on the Sabbath. And these Jews and these Gentiles are making the transition here, primarily to the Gentiles, making it easier than the Jews because of the steep of their tradition. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the what? First day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Guess what? They took up the offering on the first day of the week when you're assembled together to take up that offering. Get it? So this is the, uh, the intent of the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath was never intended to save, and the, and the Sabbath is intended for Israel Yet, the application for us today, as all things, all things in the Bible point to Jesus Christ, point to God. And you see God, and you see Jesus Christ in all these things. And you see how God fulfilled the Sabbath in Jesus Christ. Very clearly there in Hebrews chapter. Now, the problem. The problem. Can religions have problems? They sure can. And what God has intended and instituted, can it get distorted? Can we as Baptists distort things? Any one of us can distort things. And what we find is that what God had intended to help them to understand this covenant, this relationship, this holiness, this sacredness of the Sabbath and all that that was involved with it, they distorted it. And in fact, they came up, Brother Bruce, they came up with 39 regulations or traditions about the Sabbath that aren't even scriptural. And you'll discover that in this passage where they missed what the disciples were doing and they found fault with what the disciples are doing rather than understanding what the Bible says. And most times we get ourselves in trouble as we base our opinions on what other people say rather than going to the source and discovering it, the truth for ourselves. And that would be the Word of God. Isaiah 58. Let me read it to you. I, I was reading it this weekend in my devotional Bible and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I wanted to read it to you because it really helps us to understand what was happening even back there in Isaiah's time, which is 700 years or so before Christ. And uh, in my devotional Bible, verses 1 through 7, and I love this, as is the command to the preacher, shout. I like that, don't you? Shout with a voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Can I just say this? This is for all of us today. We don't need to be timid by telling the truth. If it's God's word, then we can be bold about proclaiming God's word. He says, tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so piously. They come to the temple every day. 
and seem delighted to learn about me, God talking. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the law of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted, the Israelites said, before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? Do you think we can impress God? They're asking, why aren't you impressed, God? Look at what we're doing. Have you ever done that? Look what I've done, Lord. Why are why are we having troubles? He says, we have been very hard on ourselves. And you don't even notice it. Imagine telling God that. Verse 3. I will tell you why, God says, responding. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. To take your religion to get an advantage of prestige or whatever it might look like to others. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. Bowing your heads like reeds bent in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Mom's on the other line. Oh, we're not home. That's a modern translation. You can tell that. Wow! That can smack us right between the eyes. God wants us to live out our Christianity. But what we see here in this passage, and I believe as God tries to emphasize this, this to us, is these, these Pharisees were missing the boat. They were missing the boat. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, and I, I need to hurry up here. But Matthew chapter 12, which is the same story, you'll see that as I begin reading in verse 1. The Pharisees did not concern themselves that people were hungry. They were more concerned about dotting their I's and crossing their T's and how things appear. He says, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through that cornfield. Remember that? His disciples were and hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to be done on the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read about David when he was hungry and he took of that show bread? It was not lawful for him, but took of it. And, the, uh, and then he says in verse 5, Or have you not read? And by the way, Matthew's the only one that brings out all of these ideas here because he's again speaking to the Jews. He brings out about the priest. 
how that they defile the temple on the Sabbath. In verse 6, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. That wouldn't mean much to the Gentiles, but to the Jews it does. Can you imagine him saying that to this angry mob? But notice what he says in verse 7, and he's bringing this to them, but they're not going to get it. He says in verse 7, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. You see what he's bringing out? He's bringing out the law. And by the way, is the law that we're under. There are two laws that we're under today. What are those two laws? Which hangs all the laws. Love God. Love others. And they had missed it. They got into their traditionalism. They got into their piety. And they had missed it. The reason Jesus is saying here, uh, and he quotes actually Micah about having mercy and sacrifice, uh, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You see that? They were guiltless because what his disciples were doing was not a violation of the law. Though it's questioned about David in his violation of the, of the law because the showbread truly was for the priest. And here they didn't find fault with David, but they're finding fault with Jesus and he is not breaking the law. You go back to Deuteronomy 23. This is God's welfare system, by the way. You've heard of gleaning, gleaners. It was a part of those who owned property when they came to harvest time to leave the corners of the field for those who were not as fortunate as them so that they could come and get food as well. And eating it on Sunday or Saturday or whatever day it was, guess what you do? You eat every day. Do you think the Jews fasted on the Sabbath day? They did not. They ate just as well. And here is a provision here about eating and gleaning. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard. And this is, by the way, some good principles here too. This is a part of the second uh, of Deuteronomy here. As, he's, as Moses has given final instructions before he dies and they come into the promised land. He says, when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes, thy fill at thine own, what? Pleasure. So if you're in this field... And there's grapes there. You can eat in the neighbor's field. Now, I don't encourage you to go home and walk into your neighbor's yard and take their corn or their grapes, all right? I mean, my kids did that a couple of times, but that's not what he's saying there. But this is a part of the gleaning process. He says, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. You know what he's saying there? He says, you go, you get satisfied, but you need to leave there for others. Don't take advantage of a system just because you could. And he said, don't steal because if you take it and put it in your vessels, you're actually now entering into stealing. He says, don't carry it off. It was the idea that you can get anything within arm's reach and feed yourself, but don't carry it off. Isn't that marvelous how detailed this is? Again, to the Jews, but a common principle that we can use even today, how important it is for us. Yeah, to, to understand some of these principles. He says in verse 25, When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. Well, let's chop down half of his field and take it home with us. 
That's not what God's saying. But if you need to be fed, be fed. And the Israelites had gotten away from even taking care of the poor. And it seems like even today, it's sad that our country has changed its systems of, of welfare and taking care of, you know, the poor were to be taken care of by God's people and good people that have that opportunity to share. You know, give and it shall be given to you. Take care of the widows and things like that. But all these things have been taken over by our government. And some of them managed well and some of them not. But even though the government has taken over some of these things, let us not forget what God is trying to teach us in His Word, and that is to take care of people. You be Spirit-led as God would enable you to, to help other people. I didn't say enable other people. I said help other people. And there is a big, big difference. Well, do you think they got it? Guess what happens back there in Luke chapter 6? It happens again. And the Pharisees missed it. And you'll have to come back next week for round two. And it's interesting. After round two, Brother Phil, after he gets his 12 together, guess what he does? He gives them the Sermon on the Mount. Do you see the setting, Cheryl? How corrupt the system had become. And now he gathers these people and he's got a following around him. And he's going to teach them the ways of God. Father, I pray that you'll help us to sort out. And some of this is difficult and some of it's complicated. And I'm sure to all of us, we've gotten things right and wrong at times. But Father, may we never get wrong the way of eternal life, the way of salvation. And heads bowed right now. Maybe you've come in our midst and you thought, you know, I, I want to go to heaven. I don't think there's a person in this room that wouldn't want to go to heaven. But maybe you've been going about it all the wrong way. Maybe you said, you know, if I clean up my act or if I start going to church or if I start doing this, that I'll, God will take favor on me. That's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is recognize that you are lost. You're on a destination that will end in hell. Because of the penalty of sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is damnation, death. But the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through any other way. And it is a gift that God wants to give to you if you will open your heart and invite Him into your life to be your Savior. Why don't you do that right now? Too many religions have gotten caught up in the law and regulations. And many people in churches today are missing the truth that Jesus Christ died on that cross to save them, to rescue them. And it is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. It has been paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ticket to heaven. And if you want it, why don't you just call out to Him and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and come into my heart and save me. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call and invite Him into your heart, not into your head, into your heart. And God opens up your understanding of that. And you see that as a need in your life. Then do it, my friend, today. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
do it while the Spirit is speaking to your heart. And right now, I invite you to invite Christ in your heart. And then in this invitation time, if you've not invited Christ, come up, visit with us afterwards. But I pray that all of us today would understand that we live a life not to gain entrance into heaven, but we want to live a life to show that we have already gotten that gift of eternal life. And we want this world to see Christ in our lives. So, Lord, as you speak to our hearts, and, and sometimes we've, uh, we've lost sight of some of the more weightier aspects, as Jesus said, of the law. And sometimes we've gotten caught up and been out of shape, and sometimes we've missed some things. And, Lord, this isn't, we're not preaching legalism or license. But Lord, we need to be spirit-led and we need to be your people that understand your word and the concepts and philosophies of our journey. If these folks and each one has accepted Christ as their Savior, they've got their destination. Now let's make this journey a bright light to this world that needs to see Christ. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.